0: This is Josh Summers, and you're listening to Everyday Sublime, the podcast that endeavors to explore a full-spectrum spirituality. If you're new, welcome. I hope you enjoy today's uh, Dharma talk that I give. And if you're a returning uh, listener, welcome back. It's great to have you here. You may notice, if you're a regular listener, you may notice that my, my the, stu- the sound of my studio, maybe even the sound of my voice, sounds a little bit different today. And that's because uh, Terry, my partner and I, we reorganized our home and reorganized where my office space is. I'm now uh, recording out of our practice uh, studio space for our yoga and qigong and meditation classes. So it's a different room. Uh, it's actually a much more spacious room, much more uh, well-lit room. And the energy's brighter here. So I'm going to try to match that brightness. Um, and... Uh, Connected to the brightness and the reorganization of our house, I should say that uh, we, this is all on the heels of launching our new website, and we are just so happy with the outcome of this new uh, website and, and, and platform for our teaching and um, educational offerings. Uh, we've been in this process of developing the website for nine months plus, plus. And it was a a real hard labor to get through, as I mentioned, but we, we got through it and we're very happy with the outcome. And to that end, I just want to say that if you are a yin yoga practitioner and you're looking to deepen your understanding of yin yoga, whether it's at the physical level, in terms of its impact on the fascia and the health of your overall body, if you're interested in the impact of yin yoga on your energetic being, um, through the lens of Chinese medicine, um, we have a lot to offer you. And if you're interested in the meditative development of yin yoga and how yin yoga itself intersects with a larger path of awakening, um, we have workshops, courses, and now trainings all online, all on demand, all available as self paced educational opportunities to help deepen and sustain your practice. Um, we also have a much more easy to navigate portal for our members, those that decide to practice along with us on a weekly basis. And we have a library now that hosts all our classes where you can uh, watch those classes and attend those classes again and again. Um, and those classes are based on our weekly uh, classes that we give each week on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, both in meditation, Qigong, and Yin Yoga. And uh, the heart of what we're offering is really accessible and practical tools or practices that support the development of presence in the body, that support the development of samadhi, a calm clarity of perception, and that supports the wisdom of the heart that emerges from that calmness and clarity. So we're using the physical body, the subtle body, uh, harmonizing the internal world so that we can understand our relationship to the world and operate from a level of higher wisdom and compassion. That's the, the our general mission. So um, if you click on the show notes, there will be a... Link to the site where you can download our new ebook, the What, Why, and How of Yin Yoga, and you can also join our practice sangha as a as a as a trial member for two weeks for free. So if you'd like to practice with us, if you'd like to check out what Yin Yoga is all about, head over to my site, JoshSummers.net. Subscribe to the newsletter. Um, you'll get the ebook and you'll get the two free week offer to join our practice community. And then while you're there, check out the on-demand education, particularly if you're a student and teacher of yin yoga and you really want to be able to communicate the functional approach to the practice um, at a deeper level, particularly at the level of the Chinese medical or energetic side of the practice, um, again, which I speak to from uh, my experience as an acupuncturist, or the meditative dimension, which I speak to as, my, as really a lifelong practitioner of the Buddha Dharma. So we're just... That's just a blurb about the website, do check it out. And now I wanna give you a talk, uh, part of a series of talks I'm giving about how yin meditation develops into what Buddhism refers to as shamatha vipassana. That's basically saying how Yin, the yin approach to meditation that emphasizes relaxation and receptivity, how that energy of relaxation and receptivity will mature over time into awake presence which is um, really uh, characterized by, that awake presence is characterized by an internal harmonization with a clarity of perception of both internal and external events. It's hard to put that in words, but the experience of samadhi is one of deep peace and deep clarity. So the tools that I'm recommending in this talk, the three R's of what I'm calling yang Shamatha vipassana, that is the, the process of recognizing what's occurring, the process of deeply realizing what's occurring, and the process of releasing what's occurring from the habits of grasping and identification. That I hope those processes support your practice and lead you to greater peace. Now, without further ado, here's today's talk, The Three R's of Yang Samatha Vipassana. So, for the evening reflection tonight, um I wanted to continue on to just offer some reflections around the emphasis of m- the meditative journey that I'm addressing or touching on this fall. Um, and so, in in broad strokes, the f- you know there's there's two wings to the path of awakening. there's two wings to um, the bird of freedom that we we grow into that we that we become and those two wings are in buddhism defined as compassion and wisdom and so these aren't separate features they're they're intimately interdependent on each other Um, and just for organizational purposes uh terry and i are talking about how the first half of our calendar year is going to emphasize more the compassion side of practice And the second half of the year is going to speak to more of the contemplative wisdom side of practice. And I've been offering some talks recently about what contemplative wisdom means, specifically through a Buddhist lens. And really what I want to get into tonight is uh, not so much the theory, but the more the, if you want to call it theory, the theory of practice itself. And specific uh, recommendations that I might give for how to uh, practice well and come to realize contemplative wisdom for yourself. So, you know, in, in real simple terms, uh, let's say you were visiting me and you're, you wanted to know what the weather was. And I might say, well, you can go to the window. Look out the window and see for yourself if it's sunny or rainy. (laughs) And I would try to say that without being a wise-ass about it. But the idea is, you know, as a meditation teacher, I'm trying to, as clearly as I can, offer sort of best practices, best tips for how to look so that you can see something for yourself, so you can come to know something for yourself. So it's not secondhand wisdom. It's not received wisdom. It's
1: realized wisdom in your own in your own direct uh, understanding. And the the formula, the the process that the Buddhist path and the Buddhist
0: tradition has preserved is a formula of cultivating calm clarity. So a, a calmness of being, which really is a could be described as a a very
1: pleasurable sense of well-being. And that's sometimes uh, a, a signified by
0: the word samadhi. So Sometimes in, in Buddhism and in yoga, you'll hear the term samadhi, which can is a term that I think refers to a spectrum of experiences of well-being. And you can get a little glimpse of it where you're like in a flow state, or maybe things are really settling in with your meditation, and there's just a sense of profound inner harmony, a profound sense of inner relaxation, a profound sense of well-being, and that profound harmonization is coupled with a profound sense of clarity, ability to really see in a way that our normal consciousness can't perceive things. And that's Primarily because our consciousness is in its normal state, is fragmented, jumping around a lot, it's scattered, it's not able to sustain an applied presence on anything to really see it fully and clearly. So calm clarity are are the two uh, sides of this emphasis in the development of our meditation. And Those words calm clarity in Buddhist lingo translate as shamatha vipassana. Shamatha vipassana.
1: Where shamatha tends to mean tranquility, stillness, calm, and vipassana tends to translate as insight or
0: the the direct insight that is born out of clarity. So when the when the pond becomes very still and it reflects with perfect mirror-like clarity the trees and the foliage or the, the plant life around it and the sky above it that crystal clarity of reflection is the is the condition that brings that perception
1: of clarity to be and in um, you know just in. To put things in context briefly, I would just
0: remind, want to remind everybody that the, the three primary practices that Terry and I are sharing, um, in one form or, no, or another, are really specifically chosen practices because of their ability to support this calm clarity. So. The, the, the mindful movement of qigong that terry is teaching with the long-held poses of yin yoga that she and i both teach both of these practices smooth out the subtle body energetic experience internally very effectively and that brings a certain sense of inner harmonization so if you if you didn't done a Qigong and Yin class with Terry or done a Yin Yoga class with me, and or you practice these practices elsewhere, or even done other forms of yoga, but there's a general sense within the yoga field of practice, and including Qigong here, that it, it gives a palpable sense of an energetic shift. It really d- it provides that. And that palpable somatic sense of calmness is an incredible support,
1: incredible foundation for mental calmness and mental clarity. And I'm using these terms calm clarity together and you might
0: intuitively see that they go together. That they work, they that they function together, like the calm lake that reflects things more clearly. That the, the, the clarity of its reflection goes with its stillness of, of water surface. You might get that intuitively. But in the traditions, particularly in the Buddhist tradition, there's been a tremendous amount of debate about one form of meditation versus the other. Like so there's, and I've, I've mentioned this elsewhere, but there's Many systems where they say, oh, no, no, you should do shamatha practice, practice calm, get really calm, and just do that only for a long time. Or like the system that I practiced in Burma really dispensed with the calm stuff, didn't waste time on developing calm tranquility, and went right into trying to perceive things clearly with an insight practice. And at this point in your journey, what I'm about to say may or may not make any sense. And I want to just acknowledge that. But the rationale for the calmness isn't, you know, when you hear the word tranquility, that sounds like something like, you know, I always think of tranquilizer darts or tranquilizer shots for something. You know, it's like you're trying to sedate something so that and, and things, things that are normally agitated calm down. And there is that component to it. There is that side to it. But the role of calm in the broader path, and this is the path moving into deep insight into the nature of consciousness and the deeper dimension
1: states of your consciousness, the role of that calm is primarily one of safety. I'm going to say more about that at another talk, the, 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 the importance
0: of safety. But I want to plant a flag around it right in the, this evening and then and then offer some suggestions around it. But the, the primary intention from
1: in terms of the development of wisdom is one of safety. Because as this path deepens, it will challenge every idea you have about yourself it will expose every false narrative you have about yourself and it will open you to the truth of emptiness within oneself
0: which is really another way of saying open you to a dimension of being outside of the sphere of the ego but the ego is very well armored and very well defended so when it starts to feel threatened the ego will throw up any number of defense mechanisms to protect it and prevent you from facing that thing that scares the ego so much
1: and i'm just speaking generally broadly here for now and as i was reflecting about this role of calm on the path of insight it but something that came to my mind was a discussion
0: i've been hearing when i listen to podcasts about um psychedelic use whether there's Roland Griffiths who's one of the leading researchers on psychedelics uh at Johns Hopkins now and you know he's been on Sam Harris's podcast he's on the podcast circuit um, but whenever any of these uh, researchers and um, psychonauts, people who explore their consciousness with meditation or psychedelics, when they speak about um, ingesting one of these substances, whether it's psilocybin or LSD, they all speak reverentially, like about the importance of set and setting. Like, set is your mindset. What's your mindset going into the experience? And what's the setting you're in? Are you in a safe environment? Are you with a safe guide who can help hold you steady if things get rocky? And i I've thought about that. that I, I've heard this and read about it for years now. That, that attention given to set and setting in the psychedelic world. But it occurred to me. You know that when the Buddha is speaking about the importance of samadhi, a well, like a a developed sense of well-being, of internal well-being, on the path of insight, I think what he's saying is is that you really need to take care of your setting. There has to be an internal setting, or there it's recommended. It doesn't have to be, but it's recommended that there's an internal setting. Of deep well-being of safety and from that experience of well-being it's much safer to look into things on a, on a deeper level there's much less fear or if there's fear it's better if fear arises it's more easy it's
1: it more capacity to integrate it and work with it so I know in the sangha, you know, we've been sort of encouraged personal practice regularly,
0: and um, so far we've been doubling our time. And as, and as one of you pointed out, that if we keep doubling our po- time, by the time we're in early November, we're going to be meditating twenty four hours a day or something like that. So we're going to probably stop doubling time this week. But this week, I think we get to around thirty two minutes and. Will round down and just say, I'm going to suggest everyone
1: try to have a personal practice of 30 minutes a day. And whenever the time frame of
0: practice starts to inch above something that you're already comfortable with. So let's say you've been practicing 15, 20 minutes and you're groovy with that. And then the teacher says, okay, now add 10 more minutes. Or you're groovy with 30 minutes, and then the teacher says, Now we're gonna I'm gonna recommend. At least once a day or once a week, practice for an hour, double that time, or two, two sessions, two 30-minute sessions. Whenever there's an uptick in the time suggested that stirs up, I know for myself, it stirs up fear. It stirs up anxiety. How will I, will I be able to do it? When I started going on retreats, and even still if, when I go on retreats, there's always like, am I going to be able to get through this one? Or if, if I'm on the retreat and then the teacher says, for a few nights in honor of the full moon, let's stay up and meditate past midnight. We'll just come in after our evening tea at 7 o'clock and we'll just stay on the cushion for five hours
1: or something. <laughs> you know, Alarm bells start ringing. Like, How am I going to do this? So... The fear of whether you'll be able to do it is
0: is just part of the process. And in general, as as a broad suggestion, I would just say, what makes practice difficult are the various ways that resistance can unconsciously rear its head in our practice and spin us about. And resistance is just the one word I'm going to use to refer to the the difficult energies that, are, that come up while we're practicing.
1: So I wanna give some ideas, just like, like I did last week. I'm gonna build on sort of the
0: dharma of the letter R, the dharma of the letter R. Last week I gave calm, uh, calming meditation instructions, instructions for shamatha practice, or shamatha vipassana, using the letters R. Where I suggested we want to try to relax, rest, and receive. And I was recommending working with those 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 sort of activities, those actions when we're perching, when you feel your attention
1: resting on the perch, or when you're waking up from having been off the perch for a while. And those three words, relax, rest, and receive, really, I think. Um,
0: epitomize the essence of a yin approach they're not so active they're not so directed you're not being told you know, changing anything with the experience you're relaxing within your experience you're resting and what i wanted to, to suggest tonight is that resting is relaxation with sustained application and that's a that's a phrase i want to kind of highlight Sustained application. Because it, I think it applies to a, a few different things that we'll be practicing with um, over these next few weeks. But with the relaxation, you know, that's an initial thing where you might realize, oh, I'm all tense. So you relax your face and you relax your shoulders and you relax your abdomen, you relax your arms. And rather than just d- d- like sort of going to the checklist and then checking out after going through the checklist the rest part of the instruction really invites what does it mean to sustain the application of relaxation how does that work how do we how do how can you play with the idea of resting through the sustained application of relaxation and the idea is that when we're relaxed then this is all under the container of safety but when we feel safe and we can relax and we feel that we are allowed to rest that supports a process of inner well-being if you've ever you know when you really feel like a deep sense of well-being there's often a sense of resting relaxation yes there might be engagement too you know an alertness but there's a real sense of like i'm you're, you're you you do not need to be anywhere else you're very you're completely
1: comfortable in your own skin just where you are So that's the, those three R's: the relax, rest, and
0: receive are what I might call the passive side of shamatha vipassana. So that's why I I uh, sit them or net them under the yin side of the equation. They're more passive. But the goal is not to be just passive. We're going to need to have active skills too. So this is where tonight I want to layer in the more active R's that go along with a a process of calming and clarifying our attention, calming and clarifying our being,
1: developing, cultivating shamatha vipassana. And the three R's I want to suggest that we can practice with
0: tonight are what I'll recommend primarily using
1: as and when you notice resistance. In your experience, I often you know, I used to say this in in Yin Yoga trainings that in a way the practice of Yin Yoga on a
0: physical, energetic, psycho-emotional level, all those levels. But the practice of Yin Yoga is like a very simplified, bare bones environment of experience. You're not doing very much. You're just holding a pose staying still for three to five, six minutes. Meditation's the same way. We're staying in a pose relatively still for 20, 30 minutes. These are containers. These are practice containers in which everything is kept as simple as possible
1: so that we can see how resistance functions in our being. Like the practice, if it's doing its work, will reveal patterns of
0: resistance, habit patterns of resistance, reactive patterns of resistance. Which doesn't mean that all forms of resistance are bad. I'm not trying to say that. There's a time and a place for resistance. But in terms of developing contemplative wisdom, we want to be able to see what it's like to see our experience from the calm clarity of a mind free of resistance. So the the pattern that I'm going to recommend is 3 Rs are recognize we've talked about this before but the first one will be when a, when there's a, a sense that something's not quite right and it feels like there's a a, a proverbial pee under your meditation cushion remember that story the princess and the pea where the pea was way under a stack of mattresses disturbing the princess's sleep on top of the cushion of the mattresses but if you feel like there's there's a small thing like there's an ache in your foot and tension in your neck a repetitive thought loop of something that's disturbing to you or unpleasant for you to feel or experience whatever that might be the first
1: Item of business is just to recognize that that's what's happening, that it's there. The second
0: R, the second step that I'll recommend tonight is that from recognition, I want to uh, explore the idea of what it means to realize what's happening. And on first glance, the difference between recognizing what's happening and realizing what's happening might not make much sense and i I realize i'm i may be creating a little bit of an artificial distinction between recognizing something but and realizing
1: something but i want to use a a recent real life story here in maine uh,
0: that i think will at least give you a sense of what i mean by the distinction between these two And the story is that um, last weekend, Terry's son, younger son, Blaine, was home visiting. And it's great to see him. And um, on Tuesday, she drove him back to college. And as soon as she left, I was relieved because I had some recording to do for a course that we're putting on. So I had to record some talks and, and practices. And I needed a quiet house to do that. So. The car pulls away, hugs and farewells are given,
1: and I settle down to the computer to do some recording, and just as I'm about to hit record, I hear that that, that sound that you, you know what, exactly what it is, but it,
0: it, it's the sound, that chirping, beeping sound of
1: a smoke detector that is, has, has its batteries running out running low it's like a little chirp
0: and you know our house isn't that big we're basically a five room house three rooms on the first floor two bedrooms on the second floor and a basement and you'd think it would be relatively easy for me to figure out where
1: the chirp is coming from my point is i hear the chirp and i recognize there's a problem
0: but even though I recognize there's a problem, I don't really know where the problem is yet. I don't know which smoke detector has a low battery. So in this case, for whatever reason, you know, there's a Terry and I joke about this, that, you know, when her son was around, if anything happened in the house, we tended to blame him, or at least I did. I think, I think Blaine did something. <laughs> this isn't working. This is broken. You know, he was the scapegoat. With him gone, now it's my dog. I think, I think Ozzy did something that you know, there's a problem here. Anyway, I went down to his basement um, where he stays, and it, it really sounded like the chirping was coming from the basement. But there's a couple of smoke detectors on the walls in the basement. And I couldn't just figure out which smoke detector was chirping. So I sat there for a while, looked back and forth, and I, I'll try to spare you the, the, the agonizing details here, but it took me forever. I didn't know which one it was chirping. I took one off the wall, and it was one that clips into the wall with these little, this little uh, plug-in. I disconnected the plug. I removed the batteries on, on on one of them. And the other one continued to chirp. And I thought, OK, that's got to be the one. So I removed that from the wall. But this one was different. This this second smoke detector was different. It didn't have one of those plugs from the wall. It didn't connect to the wall. Um, it was sort of a isolated it was only running off its own batteries, and um and I thought, okay, if I just take this one off, I'll be good. this This, this will solve the problem, and I can go back to my recording. Of course, I take this the the the, the defunct smoke detector upstairs to, to the first floor. No sooner am I on the on the first floor than I hear the chirp again, but it doesn't sound like it's coming from my hand. And right above my head there's another smoke detector and it's blinking so i think it's that one i get the step stool out pull that one out take the batteries out and i think i had but then i hear it no 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 now it's chirping from upstairs so long story short yes your faithful meditation teacher lost his mind and took all the smoke detectors down unplugged them all and ripped the batteries out of all of them meanwhile the one that was in my
1: hand continued to beep, even though I didn't think it was the one that was beeping. hope that makes sense. That I, I thought I had the one that was the, the culprit, and then I kept hearing the beep from
0: other corners of the house because it was sort of an auditory illusion that the one I was holding was sending the sound to bounce it off a different wall, and it was making me think it was coming from somewhere else. So long story short, I'm running it all around. It took me a while. I had to have, I had to sustain my attention. I had to sustain my attention on the problem until I realized what the root of the problem was. The, the root of the issue did not reveal itself at first glance or at for, first smoke detector ripped from the, from the wall. And... And that's what I'm trying to get at with this idea of, of a distinction between recognizing something that might be happening, which in some ways, the way I'm using it is a little bit of a sur- superficial understanding that there's, there's there's a problem here. I don't really know what it is, but th- th- I recognize there's an issue versus sustaining your attention on the on the experience
1: with receptivity. To come to a direct realization of what's happening. To a direct realization. Now, in Buddhist, uh, in Buddhist analysis, when there's a
0: problem, if in our meditation, let's just keep it in that in that um, scope for the moment. When we experience resistance in the meditation, and we Recognize that that's happening, and then we shift into sustaining application of that recognition
1: to realize, to see at a deeper level. The seeing at the deeper level
0: often, and I, I, I hesitate to say always, but because I don't want to be too grandiose or too absolute about this, but often real, reveals when we sustain attention on it what that often reveals is that
1: our mind is grasping or craving for something else. Whether it's a craving for it to go away, a craving for it to stop, a craving for something better. At the root of the resistance, there's usually some energetic dynamic of grasping or craving. But that is not something I want you to believe. Like, like,
0: you know, I don't, this this won't do a bit of good. I mean, it won't influence your practice and the development of your understanding. If you think, "Oh, I just need to recognize when there's a resistance, label it resistance, and then I'll realize that it's resistance
1: and just let it go. That's not going to be sufficient And this is where, again, the, the calmness of Samadhi, the calmness of, of,
0: of, of a shamata development, is important to be able to tolerate looking at. The discomfort
1: manifesting as resistance, but once we see it, and and when I see,
0: when I say we realize it, we don't realize it not so much as a thought, but
1: as a gestalt of your body, your being grasping. I'm trying to think of an example here. Let's say. If you're meditating, and a topic
0: that causes distress or anxiety or agitation arises, which is common when we're relaxed, the things we repress in our normal life tend to show up when we're when we're when we're less defended, when we're more available
1: and receptive so A topic of of challenge may arise. And our egoic self will say, please, no, no, I I really,
0: I'm looking for a little sanctuary. I I, I want my meditation to be a sanctuary from these kinds of disturbances. We need to recognize, okay, there's this, A, there's this topic that's here, this theme,
1: this dynamic that's here. And if we sustain the application of that recognition with receptivity
0: and we realize it not as a, not within our, our, our thinking mind, but with our whole being, just to feel it within our body, feel it in our heart,
1: feel really from, you know, from your soul at a soul level. It will start to reveal the tension within the psyche that's wanting something to go away, craving for, the, for it to go away, or craving for something better. And it, when you really
0: feel the inner tension, physically, and this is where the somatic awareness that our yoga and Qigong is about really helps you identify when that inner tension is, is alive.
1: Then the third R that I want to suggest tonight is to release the tension or release the grasping, which is not to get rid of it. It's just to let go of the demand that it not be there or that something else be there.
0: So these are a little bit more active, these these three Rs of recognizing realizing and releasing these are a little bit more active which is why i put them on the yang side of the ledger to complement the yin side
1: of the ledger of relaxation rest and receptivity this isn't about getting it right like this is not about like being the perfect meditator of the six r's that josh has described so far it's about you know, as i was thinking about this like uh, musicians will often practice a a,
0: a lick like a, an, an articulation of a musical idea or a phrase that they learn from somebody else and so what i'm trying to give you with these these six r's Are like what I have found to be some of the best ways
1: of navigating through the experience that we have when we just sit with ourselves. Just like a musician is trying to navigate through a harmonic progression with good musical ideas, these are good ideas to practice as you navigate
0: the unfolding of your experience when you sit with yourself and then by virtue of being with yourself in that way you can transpose those skills to the time off the cushion but they're just sort of foundational ideas foundational premises but they're not meant to be held too tightly they're meant to be engaged with creatively so tonight i just you know want to suggest like What is is your practice like? What what occurs for you in your practice when you uh,
1: establish the intention to openly receive resistance with a heart that can recognize it? A sustained application of that recognition
0: that brings into a deeper realization, more three-dimensional, holistic realization of all that's ar- arriving or arising within this experience of
1: resistance. And then a sense of release. What does it mean when this, is re- this tension of resistance
0: is released? It doesn't mean the sensation will necessarily go- change for the better. It doesn't mean the thought stream that you didn't like in the first place necessarily doesn't come back or continues. We're not bargaining with the We're not doing these things so that we get better experiences and get away from the, the, the unpleasant experiences.
1: We're mobilizing these capacities of our being to see and understand at a greater depth,
0: below the depth of thought, below the depth of kind of the fragmented fragmented view that our egoic self is often looking through the world through. Okay, thanks so much for listening today, and um, you know, th- this is really part two of a talk. The three R's of yang Shamatha vipassana complement the three yin R's of Shamatha vipassana, or the three R's of yin Shamatha vipassana. So together there's six, and there will be one more. I'll be reflecting on this, uh, this another talk down the road. But the six are, so far, relax, rest, receive, recognize, Realize and release. The seventh R, which holds them all together, is the R to remember to do the other six. And that re- that remembrance of the other six is really the essence of mindfulness. Mindfulness comes from the word sati, which means to remember, to remember to hold something in mind. And um, so, when we act, when we practice these six R's or seven R's, we're in a way, and I'll be coming to this, we're we're cultivating. In a very accessible way we're cultivating the seven factors of awakening that the buddha defined or that the buddha identified these are the capacities of mind the qualities of mind that promote the release of the mind into a a deeper sense of awakening So I'm looking forward to sharing that with you and just to say um, I want to thank you for your attention here but I really want to encourage you to head over to the website if you don't have a copy if you don't if you haven't gotten your copy of the what why and how of yin yoga and you want to learn how that practice can really I would say take your meditation practice to the next level check that out at the website that's a free ebook for you the what why and how of yin yoga and we're also With that offer, giving you two weeks to practice with us online to try us out for free. If you're new to Qigong, if you're new to yin yoga, if you're new to meditation, don't be shy. These practices are very accessible. We teach them at a level that's open to all levels. And um, we really enjoy sharing these practices with those that, that, that appreciate them. So do consider joining us, and we look forward to practicing with you. Until the next episode, stay safe. Stay strong, take good care, and I look forward to seeing you soon. All the best.